מסכת בבא קמא דף סדי וו, אמר רבה, גזל והשביח ומכר, וגזל והשביח והוריש, מה שהשביח מכר, מה שהשביח הוריש. If a robber steals an item and hands its value while it's in his possession and then sells it to someone else. Or, same thing, he, he steals something, enhances its value, makes it better, right? Takes uh, wood planks and makes it into a chair or whatever. And then he dies and his heirs inherit it. So that enhanced value, um, uh, he keeps the robber by doing so. That is, an, uh, that is a change in the item. And so therefore, he, can, he keeps the item. He doesn't have to return it. You can understand this in two ways. Either it was a significant change. That's an irreversible change. And that causes the robber to then acquire the item. He just has to pay for the original value when he stole it. Or it could be not a significant change. But remember that there was a takana. The rabbis made an enactment. In order to encourage robbers to come forward and make teshuvah, they said, listen, um, if we would require the robber to come and return the item itself, with especially with this enhancement, then they're not never going to want to make to make um, to make teshuvah because they don't want to lose out on the item they stole, especially if it's worth more now. And so the rabbis made a takana and says, listen, you know what? You can keep the item and keep the enhancement and just pay the value at the time that it was stolen. Um, so just like the robber has that right, if he sells it or bequeaths it to his heirs, the buyer or the, or the heirs continue and get that same benefit. Um, so whatever he enhanced, he sold, whatever he enhanced goes, he um, uh, uh, bequeaths, and therefore the buyer or the heirs can keep the item, and they will, when the robber comes, they'll say, you know, hey, give me that. Um, so they can either pay the original value of uh, what was stolen, or if they return the item, then the uh, original owner will have to pay the difference between the what, what it was worth at the time of stealing and the enhancement. Um, so the enhancement belongs to the robber, and the robber then uh, transfers the um, the right to the to the enhancement over to whoever gets it next. Okay, that's Rava's basic law. But now he has an, uh, a question. What if the robber stole it and then he sold it to someone else as is? And the buyer put uh, money into it or it just increased in value in the hands of the buyer. What about in that case? Does the buyer also have this special right? And now when the, if the original owner comes and takes it and now it's worth more, to, can the buyer say, oh, but it, it, it was enhanced under my possession and I want to keep it. So do we make the same enactment and allow the buyer also to keep the item? Uh, or does he have to return the whole thing as is and lose out on the value of the enhancement? After Rav asked the question, he figured out an answer and he concluded, What did the first guy t- sell the second guy, meaning the original robber um, who sold it to the buyer? The buyer is in a way a second robber because although he's buying it, it's still stolen property. So what does the, the, the robber sell to the buyer, he sells all of the rights that he himself has, right? So so just like the robber has the right to, if he enhances it, keep the value of the enhancement, that right transfers over to the buyer. And so therefore, even if it's the buyer that makes the enhancement, um, uh, the, the buyer can keep the enhancement, 
and uh, return only the value of the original item. Rava has another follow-up question. What if the thief is a non-Jew? So Ravacha says to Ravina, did the rabbis make an enactment on behalf of a non-Jew if, it, if the robber is Jewish? So even though when it makes it when there is an enhancement, technically he should give it back, but the rabbis made an, an enactment to encourage uh, repentance. And they said to the robber, okay, you can keep it and just pay the original amount. But the, So that applies to a Jew, that we want to make sure he may, he repents. But did the rabbis make that same takana also for a non-Jew? So this seems like they would not make such an enactment for a non-Jew. And so he answers, no, the question of Rava was about a case where the non-Jewish robber sells it to a Jew, and then it gets enhanced uh, at that at that point, at, at some point along the way, and now that buyer who is Jewish is, comes to to return it. So, uh, do we uh, make the takana for that buyer who is also a robber because it's still stolen property? And so, to encourage him to repent, will we say that he can keep the enhancement? Um, so, so that's the case. It's been, it, the question is if it went through a non-Jew in the middle who was the first robber and only the buyer uh, was the, was a Jew, does the an- enactment apply to that buyer also? And we say, sof, sof, goy, harehu kigoy. Well, it should not happen because if it came from a non-Jew, then it should have the same law as the non-Jew. In other words, the non-Jew is the original robber and assuming there is no enactment there, so the non-Jew does not have a right to keep the enhanced value. Uh, so then when he sells it to a Jew, so then there, what, what, how can he sells something that he himself does not have. And so the Jewish buyer, therefore, should not have the right to keep the enhancement. So that seems like it's an obvious uh, answer, and that can't be the question of my Rather, the question must be in the case where originally a Jew ra- stole it, and then sold it to a non-Jew. The non-Jew enhanced its value, and then that Jew went and sold it to, uh, that non-Jew sold it to a Jew. So you have a sandwich, right? It goes Jew, non-Jew, Jew. So what do we say in that case? You could just look at the beginning and the end. Since the original robber was Jewish and had the right to keep the enhancement with the enactment of the rabbis. And in the end, the final guy, who is returning the item, um, is also Jewish, and so the Takana should apply to him, so then we can ignore all the steps in the middle. Do we say that, and the Takana would apply? Or do we say, since there is a non-Jewish step in the middle, and the rabbis did not make a Takana, so yes, the original Jew who stole it has this right, but then when he sells it to a non-Jew, the non-Jew himself does not have that right, and therefore cannot um, transfer it over to the last Jew who owns it, and the Takana does not apply and then therefore the um, uh, the last guy has to return the item as is to the original owner and loses out on the enhancement and this the question is left standing. Amar Rav Papa, 
The Papa rules that a person uh, uh, robs someone else's palm tree. Happens to be that they're neighbors. And so the robber goes into his neighbor's uh, land where there's a palm tree right on the border and cuts down the palm tree such that the palm tree falls onto his own land. So we might have thought that the robber then would therefore thereby acquire the palm tree. It doesn't mean uh, he's allowed to do that or he keeps it for free. You still certainly have to pay the original owner for the value of the palm tree. But the thing is that since it underwent a change, this is what we're thinking, what we might have thought, um, that before it was a live palm tree, now it's a dead palm tree, and it so, so happens that it falls into his own property, so we might have thought that he acquires it. But a papa is giving us a chidush that says even if it goes into his land, he does not acquire it. Why? Because there's no there's no substantive change here. And there's no name change. This is very interesting. We're talking about that the main principle we're going to see in the next few examples is if there's a name change, that's considered a significant enough change that the robber acquires the item. Uh, but even if there's some physical change in the in in, uh, in the item, but it's still called the same thing. Uh, there is that's not called a significant change. So it's the name and the name is a concept. We have usually have a different word if it's a different concept. So if we have the same, if we call it the same thing, then even though it's in different form, still we're thinking of it in the same way. Whereas once it has a new name, now in our own minds, it becomes a different item altogether. And since it's a new item, the robber then acquires the item itself and only has to pay for it. So in this case, when it was um, attached to the ground, it was called a palm tree. And now that the robber cut it down, it's still called a palm tree. And therefore, there's no significant change and the robber has to return the palm tree itself. If he robbed a palm tree and turned it into logs, he cuts it up into logs, then the robber does acquire it because now, before it was called a palm tree, and now it's called logs. In English also, it would have a different name. And since it's a different name, it's a different item altogether. So so, the the owner can say, hey, return what you stole. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. There is no more palm tree. What about that stuff over there? That's logs. That's not the same thing. So instead, he just pays for the palm tree. Gobe ve'abdin hu if the robber steals logs and he turns it into beams, he acquires it because before it's called logs and now that you make it into a nice shape and strong, now it's called beams. But if he takes big beams and cuts them into small beams, he does not acquire it because they're still called beams no matter what the size is. If he turns it into boards, he, he acquires it because before they were called logs or beams, and now they are called boards, and so that's a different item. Amarava, Haiman de Gazal Ludiva, Fabdinu Huse, Kane, Dimikara Ludiva, Mikre, Vashta, Huse. If someone steals a palm frond, a lulav, and he uh, rips off all the leaves and turns it into leaves, so now he acquires it because before it was called a palm frond and now it's called leaves. If he stole leaves and turned it into a broom, he acquires it.
requires it because before it was called leaves and now it's called a broom. If he stole a broom and turned it into a rope, he does not acquire it, even though that is called a different thing. The reason is because you can just unravel it and turn it back into a broom. So in that case, it's just not a significant enough, enough of a change in the item. It's reversible. And a reversible change is not considered a significant change and does not change ownership. So Papa says, okay, what if he, he stole a, uh, a lulav, a whole lulav, but he didn't, not, he didn't uh, uh, rip off all the leaves, but rather just the top of it, the, the, the middle leaf got split. Um, what about that case? Is that considered a significant change and the, and the robber acquires it? We can figure out the answer from the following statement in David Biosha ben Levi that if someone, st- uh, if a, you have a lulav that you want to use for albaminim and the top of it is cut off, then it's no good. You cannot use it for Arbaminim anymore. So we can infer from this, my love, who had Wouldn't that be the same thing if it was split, if it was cut off or split? Either way, the lulav is no longer usable for the mitzvah. Therefore, that's considered a significant change. And so too, we're comparing the law regarding uh, using it for a mitzvah to the law of a robber. And so too, if a robber steals it and the top is split, then that's a significant change and the, the robber acquires the lulav thereby. He keeps the lulav and he would just have to pay for the value. And we answer law, no, being removed completely is worse. That's a, that's a bigger change, right? If there's a whole piece missing, then that is considered uh, no good, no good for the, for the mitzvah. And also that's a significant change that gives acquisition to the robber. But if it's only split on top, that's not as significant of a change. And therefore, the robber does not acquire it. That's one version of the answer. But there's another version that's the opposite. In this version, Yosheb ben Levi says, if the top of the love was split, it's the same as if it's removed. And therefore, in both of these cases, that's called a significant change. Um, just like it's no good for the mitzvah, so too it's a significant change that for the robber, and therefore the robber acquires it, and he does not have to give it back, he just has to pay for it. If someone steals some dirt, and, ter- and bakes it into a brick. It, that's not called an acquisition, even though it's a different item uh, uh, in terms of name, right? Before it was called uh, dust, and now it's called a brick. But nevertheless, that's not considered acquisition because it's a temporary change. You can always take that brick and grind it up and turn it back into dust, and therefore he does not acquire it. But the other way around, is that's not the same. If he steals a brick and then he turns it in, he grinds it into dust, he does acquire it thereby. What's the difference? What would you say? That, well, if he, he stole the brick, he turned it into dust, but it's reversible because he could take the dust and bake it back into a new brick. Yeah, but the problem is that that second brick is a new brick. Panim hadashot. It's a new face. It's a new item. Yeah, before there was a brick, but, and now there's a brick, but you don't want to call that that's the same brick. 
and therefore it is in fact an irreversible change. If you steal a brick and turn it into dust, there's no way you can get the original bit brick back. Whereas the other way around, if you stole dust, turn it into a brick, well, you can turn it back into dust. And dust is just dust. It is considered called the same dust. It's not, it doesn't have enough of an identity that you would say it's different dust. If a robber steals a bar of silver and then he turns it into coins, that's not considered a change. Even though it's a name change, before it's called a bar, now it's called coins. Nevertheless, the problem is that it's reversible because you can always melt the coins and turn it back into a bar of um, of uh, silver. Uh, the other way around, however, is if he steals coins and he turns the coins into a bar, so that is considered a, a, a change, irreversible change. Why? Because what are you going to say? He can turn it back into coins? Those are new coins. The, new, the coins that he makes, they're not the same as the old coins. Coins have a, a very specific identity that you wouldn't call them the same coins, and therefore there's no way you can get back the original coins. And so that's different from a bar, which is less identifiable. If he stole black and tarnished coins, and he, he, he uh, um, uh, cleans them up, uh, polishes them, and now they make, he made them like new coins, that is not considered an acquisition because you can always, uh, they'll, eventually they'll tarnish again and you can make them dirty again so he can make it back into the, what, what it was before. Uh, so that's, that's called reversible. But the other way around, if he stole new coins and then he made them dirty, um, that is a permanent change, and the robber has acquired them. What are you going to say? He can polish them again and make them like new? They're never going to be quite the same as new. You can always tell that they have been tarnished, right? You can make them like new, but not really the same as they were before, so that's called irreversible. Okay, finally, the Mishnah at the end said, There's a general rule that robbers always pay according to the time of the of the robbery, with the value of the thing that they stole at the time of the robbery, whether it goes up or down in the meantime. What is this general rule coming to include? The Mishnah already mentioned examples of it, so why do we need this general rule? If a robber steals a baby animal, a lamb, but then it grows up and becomes a ram, or he stole a, a calf, a small, and then it becomes an ox, that's a, a, a significant change that happens while in the possession of the robber, and thereby the robber acquires the item. Therefore, if after having stole it and after it grows up and now it's a new item, the robber uh, slaughters it or sells it, he does not have to pay the penalty of four or five because he sold or slaughtered his own animal. So he'll have to give back the original. He still has to pay double back, but he doesn't have to pay four and five. And so this is the extra chidush 
um, that the Zeh Kalal is teaching us that it, it's considered the same as from the, the value is the time that he stole it and now that it's a new item because it's now it's bigger uh, before it was a lamb now it's a ram so now it's a new item and he doesn't have to pay the four and five a story about a person who robbed a, a pair of oxen and this robber went and used them and he plowed his field and he sowed seeds with them and then he, he returned it to the owner now technically we would think he just he, now he returned it good so he returned the stolen item. That's what you have to do. But they went to Rav Nachman, and Rav Nachman says, not only is it it's not enough that you returned it, you have to go and estimate the enhancement of the land that you received through this pair of oxen, and you, robber, have to pay the original owner also for the enhanced value of the land because you used the uh, oxen in order to enhance the land. It's kind of like paying rent for the time that you used it. That doesn't make sense. I should pay, have to pay that much. Is it only the oxen that brought the enhancement of the land, not the land itself? I mean, it's true. The oxen helped out, but it's also the, uh, the, the, the human initiative there, the know-how, the human labor, uh, the land itself that now is, uh, is, is much better than it was before. You know, if you steal a, a hammer and you make a chair, so you, you should just pay a rent value for the hammer, you don't pay the full value of the chair as opposed to the raw wood just because uh, you used someone else's hammer. So it shouldn't, it doesn't make sense. They should have to pay all of the amount of the of the enhancement. Rav Nachman says, no, I didn't mean that he that he pays the entire amount of the enhanced value. I meant half. Right? Makes sense. Half is due to the oxen who worked it, and the other half is due to the land itself that um, is uh, increased and all the other factors that go into that went into making the land enhanced. But Rav persists and says, still you your ruling doesn't make sense because this is a stolen item and you stole the item as is. All robbers have to pay back the thing that they stole at the time that, that with the value at the time that they stole it. And here, what better is it is cases there than you're still than you're returning the actual items. So why why would you have why would you have to pay for the use of the oxen in between, right? For or even if it's not the full amount of enhancement, even half the enhan- amount of enhancement, why should you have to pay anything at all? Rav Nachman says, I told you, while I'm sitting as a judge, don't say anything to me, right? If you want to ask me a question, ask me later on the side. We have everybody here and I'm in the middle of making a judgment and I have my reasons. i do not always going to reveal all of my considerations. And so ask me in private. Don't ask me while I'm in the, I'm in the middle of judging. And you should trust me because our friend Huna, Rav Huna, he says about me that King Shapur and I are brothers regarding monetary law. Um, king Shapur was the king of the Persian Empire, and so he's in charge of everything in the land. Here it seems to be um, a, a reference to Shemuel who uh, Shemuel was known 
for his expertise in uh, in the uh, civil law. And so he's he himself, Shemuel is compared to King Shapur, right? He has the ultimate authority and uh, what he says, whatever he says goes. So Rav Nachman is saying, listen, who now said about me that me, I'm like just like Shemuel and just like you would accord absolute authority to King Shapur and to Shemuel, you should uh, grant me uh, authority and let me do what I, what I, uh, as I rule. I know what I'm talking about. Don't question me in the middle of judgment. I actually had, uh, I, I knew everything you were saying, and I know that from the letter of the law, as long as he returns the oxen, that's sufficient. But I had a different consideration in mind. This guy, the robbed the oxen, he's been, he's an old robber. He's been robbing for a long time, and somehow he's been getting away with it. But now I'm able to catch him, and I want to penalize him, even though the penalty is not from the letter of the law, and he should be able to return the oxen, but he's got to, we got to stop him, and he deserves this um, extrajudicial penalty, and that's why I made him pay. And uh, now you, you, you know, you questioned me in the middle, um, so uh, you know you made me uh, show my show my cards, but you should have trusted that I had a good reason. The next Mishnah teaches Gazal The Tanakhama teaches that if a robber uh, steals an animal um, and it became old, or he steals a slave, and they the slaves become old, and now they're worth less than they were, the robber has to pay the value at the time that he stole it. Um, uh, and because now it became uh, worth less than it was before. Um, and this is considered a significant change. It's irreversible change that now that it became old, it's like it's a different thing. It's a different animal. It's a different uh, slave. And so he can't simply return the slave as is or the animal as is. He has to pay for the original value. All that is Rabbanan. Rabbi Meir agrees regarding animals that now that the animal um, became old, it's a new thing, and the um, and therefore the robber acquires the animal, and uh, he can't just return it then, but rather he has to return what he stole, meaning the value of the animal at, he t- at the time that he stole it. However, to be made disagrees regarding Avadim, because he thinks that Avadim, Evid Kanani, has the same legal status as land. And just like land, there's no way to steal land. No matter what you do, you, you, the, the robber does not acquire the land. So too, in Evid Kanani, no matter what change it hap- that happens to it, he, uh, the robber does not acquire it. Therefore, in this case, it's for his benefit. He can simply return the uh, slave and said, this, this was yours. I'm returning it to you. Yeah, but now it's worth less. Well, it's still the same item that I am returning to you. If a robber steals a coin and it cracks, so now it's worth less. Or he steals produce and now it's all rotten, or wine, and now it became all vinegar. So he has to pay according to the original value, because now this is a new item, right? You can't just return rotten fruit. That's a new item. The, the, the uh, owner, owner says, this is not the fruit that you stole. This is a significant, irreversible change, and thereby the robber acquires the item itself, 
but so he has to pay the value of when he stole it. A very interesting law that's different from this one is if the item that he stole becomes bad, but not physically bad, there's no physical change in it, but there's only a legal change in it that makes it worth less. That is not considered a significant change by which the robber would acquire it and he can return the item itself. The examples are a coin, and the coin looks exactly the same, but the government canceled this, this uh, currency. Right? This is no longer valuable. Uh, so now uh, the, the coin, well, I, I stole this coin. I still have the coin. It's still in perfect shape. So the robber can, can return the coin, even though now it won't be usable anymore. Or if he steals teruma, and teruma, when, he, when he stole it, it was tahor, so a coin could eat it. It's worth significant money. It became tameh. And now it's uh, worth almost nothing because all a Kohen can do is burn it. Um, uh, nevertheless, he can return it as is because the Turumah physically is the same. It's just that it has, has a legal status change. Or if he steals Chametz and now Pesach came and, um, and went and now the Chametz was owned by a Jew over Pesach and it's prohibited to even have benefit over it so therefore it is valueless. Nevertheless, the Chametz is here intact. He can return the Chametz. It's just only a legal status that makes it worth less not a physical change, or a stolen animal and a sin was done with it, or it became unfit to use on the Mizbeach, or it did something like kills, kill an animal killed a person and it was sentenced to death by, um, by Sikila. In all these cases, the animal, although physically it's the same animals there, it didn't get old, it didn't get weak, but now it's worth less because of a legal status that it went through, that it cha- that changed in it. In all these cases, he can say, the robber can say, here, I'm returning the, uh, the very same item that I stole, and the legal uh, new status does not affect the item itself. It's considered the same item, and uh, therefore the robber does not acquire it, and he can return it as is. The Papa says, when the Mishnah says that the uh, animal or the slave got old, it doesn't have to be literally got old, which would be a very significant change, but even if it just got weaker. Yeah, but the Mishnah says it got old. So why say it got old if you just meant that it got weaker? And the answer is, We're talking about that it got weaker in a way that's similar to getting old, in the sense that it cannot return, just like some uh, animal gets old, it's never going to get young again. So too, we're talking about a permanent weakening, a permanent illness that makes it no longer the same as it was before. That's considered a significant change. And so even if it didn't get old, just got weaker, but permanently weaker, um, that's a significant change. And the robber acquires it and therefore has to pay the original value. So now we're re-quoting a, a law that we saw before. Um, and uh, here, Mordechai the son of Chista, is, is told Rav Asher, I heard the following uh, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. That, um, we're going to see the attribution is a problem here, um, that if someone steals um, a, a young animal, um, a, 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 a lamb, and it became a ram or a calf, and it becomes an ox, this is related to the halakha before, because here also um, it's, uh, it's changing age. Um, here, the changing age is not that it got older and weaker, but a smaller change that it just, um, you know, had a birthday. 
and um, it uh, is now called um, a different uh, name, but it's still essentially the uh, the same animal. So even here, um, an age change is significant. Um, so uh, in all these cases, this is significant of enough of a change that the robber acquires it, and that has an effect on if he stole stole it, and then it gets older, and now it's called. Uh, a, a ram or an ox, um, and he slaughters it or sells it, he acquired it, and therefore he doesn't have to pay the 405 um, a penalty for s- slaughtering it or selling it. Okay, this halacha is true. Marle uh, Ravashe said, yeah, I agree with the halacha that you taught, but lav amin alach, la tachlif kabre, but I told you already, make sure not to change the names of the tradents who said this. This was not said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, it was said in the name of Rabbi Il'ah. So yes, remember this tradition, but make sure to remember it in, with the proper attribution. Rabbi Meir made a, a distinction between animals and slaves, and he thought that slaves, Evid Kanani, has the same status as land, um, such that it never it's never acquired by the robber and he, he can he can simply return the slave even if it gets weaker. So Rav said we follow halacha like Rabbi Meir. Now we ask, why is Rav uh, um, leaving the majority opinion of Rabbanan that made no distinction and that says slaves were like movable property and following the halacha like the minority opinion of Rabbi Meir? And the answer is because there is a Braita parallel to this Mishnah that has the opinions reversed. And there it's the Chachamim that say that a slave is like land, and that's why he's following the halacha, uh, following the Braita. Wait, does, why is Rav um, eschewing a Mishnah and following a Braita? Mishnah is more authoritative than a Braita. And the answer is Rav Matitin Nami Pechatane. Rav is teaching a Mishnah also in the opposite way, not like, our, not like the Mishnah we had before, but in his version of the Mishnah, it's Rabbanan that say that slave, uh, slaves are like land and you return the slave as, as is. Yeah, but why is Rav uh, flipping the Mishnah based on the Baraita? Right? What, what made him decide that? If he has a Baraita one way and a Mishnah the other way, he should follow the Mishnah as being more authoritative and switch around the opinions in the Baraita. And so we answer, kind of again, like the same that we just answered, that Rav, he had a tradition of the Mishnah in the other way than we have the tradition of the Mishnah. So yes, in his version of the Mishnah, it's the Rabbanan that say that a slave is like land, which is also what it says in the Baraita. So his version of the Mishnah was the same as what he had in the Baraita and both of them. Uh, this Rabbanan that say a slave is like land, and that's why he said that it should be the Halacha. Or another answer, maybe we don't really know what version of the Mishnah Rav had, this was, that was just one possibility. Second possibility is the, Rav had the Mishnah as we have it, as we just quoted it above. Um, but when we say you shouldn't flip around a Mishnah, and correct it off of a Baraita, because a Mishnah is more authoritative than a Baraita, that's only if you have one Baraita. But if you have two Baraitot against a Mishnah, then two Baraitot are more, more authoritative than one Mishnah. And in this case, Rav indeed had two Baraitot, 
one we already had. What's the second one? De Tanya, Hamachalif para Bahamor Vialda, Vehena Mohel Shifrato Vialda, Zeomer Bishuti Yada, Vahala Shotek, Zaha Ba. If someone uh, uh, exchange, they do an exchange, a cow for a donkey, let's call the giver of the cow the giver, and the one who is giving the Hamor receives the cow. We'll call him the receiver because he's receiving the cow. And uh, the interesting part of this case is that the cow gives birth sometime right before or right after the transaction. Let's say they're doing the tra- tra- transaction off-site. The cow is somewhere else, and they're doing a transaction, maybe a Kenyan Khalipin, a symbolic transaction with a handkerchief or something. And so they do this transaction. It says, here, I'm giving you the cow, and then you give me the donkey thereby. But we're not sure if this cow gave birth before the transaction, in which case it would be the giver of the cow who keeps the offspring, or if it gave birth after the uh, moment of the transaction in which the receiver of the cow would re- would uh, keep the offspring. Um, so it'll depend on what their claims are. Or a similar case, if someone is selling a shivcha, a shivcha kena'anit, and so the shivchak na'anit is in a different room. They're not there with it. And he's selling He's selling it. And then in the meantime, she gives birth to a child. Now, if she gave birth before the transaction, then the seller keeps it. Whereas if uh, she gave birth after the transaction, then the buyer keeps it. So what is the outcome? It depends on their claims. If one of them, whichever one, knows for sure and says, I know it was in my possession, when uh, the when she gave birth, and the other one doesn't say anything, meaning he's not sure. Well, then we give it to the person who is who has who is sure. If he has a definite claim, so we believe him. The other one's not contradicting. However, zeomet any zeomet any If both of them says, I don't know, right? We both weren't there. Uh, she was in some other room, and so we, they both have no idea. Then they split the value of the offspring of the animal that that was uh, given birth to, or of the child. Zeomet bishuti v'zeomet bishuti. If both of them have a definite claim, the seller says uh, the maidservant was in my possession when, when it gave birth, and the buyer also says, no, I know for sure it was in my possession, then, according to the Bimeir, the seller makes a vow that it, uh, she gave birth before the transaction while it was still under his uh, uh, possession, and uh, then he keeps it. Why? Why should he? Why does he make the uh, the vow? Because there's a general rule that anyone who makes a vow, a Torah mandated vow, uh, makes a vow and doesn't pay. In other words, it's always going to be the defendant that can make a vow and then not pay. Whereas it's not going to be, that that will be the seller. Whereas it's not going to be the buyer who is trying to extract the item and get paid. You can't make a vow and get paid. And this uh, slave all, beforehand, uh, it was under the ownership of the seller so the seller keeps it until it transfers over to the buyer so the buyer is the one that's trying to extract the money and that's uh, the extract the offspring here uh, the child so therefore the seller is the one that makes the vow according to the bimeir however say we do not make vows regarding slaves and land and so you see here he's comparing the law about slaves to the laws about land and 
therefore, while Chachamim would agree in the case of the uh, animals, he would they, they disagree in the case of the Shivcha Kena'anit and say, no, there's no vow, and uh, even the seller cannot make a vow here and keep the child because we don't make vows. So what we see here is that Chachamim are comparing the law, the law regarding to land in this Baraita. Therefore, we see in this Baraita and in yet another Baraita that was uh, that were, that we spoke about above. That in both of these cases, it's the Chachamim that say an Evid Kanani is like land. Therefore, that's two Baraitot against one. And so in our Mishnah also, it must be that Chachamim are the one that make a distinction between animals and uh, and, 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 and Evid Kanani. And Evid Kanani that gets weaker, the uh, robber can return it as is, unlike a animal that he acquires and he cannot return the animal as is. And it's based on these two, but I thought that I've um, decided that it's proper to change around the attribution in the Mishnah. Finally, why did Rav say halacha is like Rabbi Meir? He should have said halacha is like Rabbanan because he thinks the halacha is like Rabbanan. Rabbanan is the one that makes the distinction between the two. He switched it around. And the answer is What he means is that according to the switched version, um, meaning according to Rav, the wrong version, Rav, in his version, would, would have said that it's Chachamim. But according to the other version that has the opinion switched, so the Halacha is like Rabbi Meir, so that's how we quote it, since in our version that is the opinion of Rabbi Meir, so we want to be clear, so we say that Rav said Halacha is like Rabbi Meir in our version of the Mishnah. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen v'Amen.